Welcome to the Mediate.com podcast with Veronica Kramer. Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another great episode of the Mediate.com podcast. This is Veronica here, your host. And today I'm excited because we're going to talk all about the role of storytelling and mediation. And I'm so thrilled for today's guest. Today's guest is Josh Weiss. And here's a little bit of background info on Josh. He is the co-founder, along with William Urey, of the Global Negotiation Initiative at Harvard University and a senior fellow at the Harvard Negotiation Project. He's also the director and creator of the Master of Science degree in Leadership and Negotiation at Bay Path University. He received his PhD from the Institute for Conflict Analysis and Resolution at George Mason University. Josh has spoken and published on leadership, negotiation, mediation, systemic approaches to dealing with conflict, and in his current capacity, he conducts research, consults with many different types of organizations, delivers negotiation and mediation trainings and courses, and engages in negotiation and mediation at the organizational, corporate, government, and international levels. And I want to add, he's also the author of a book, which I just put on my reading list. Uh, it's called The Book of Real World Negotiations, Successful Strategies from Business, Government, and Daily Life. So hey, with that, Josh, welcome to the Mediate.com podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Veronica. It is a pleasure to join you. Yeah, awesome. Well, so I will say I am so excited about today's episode. I know as a mediator, I mean, I'm always on the lookout for different tools in my toolbox, especially when it comes to, you know, trying to break impasse at mediation. And so, I mean, I find this topic of the role of storytelling to be really fascinating. It's not something that I really have ever encountered before. And so I'm super excited to hear your take. And uh, you were so kind to send me a couple articles ahead of time so I could read the, through those and prep. Uh, so yeah, let's jump to it. Um, can you tell us about, I mean, just kind of big picture, how does storytelling really help in, in a negotiation? Well, you know, it's very interesting. And, and this is something that I, I sort of uh, got more and more interested in as I, as I wrote the book that you mentioned, because what I realized that I was doing was really just telling stories. And, and you know, stories are perhaps one of the few things that humanity shares in common, that every culture, every people um, uses stories to convey lessons and ideas. I mean, I, I, you know, I still remember as a kid that the two story sort of themes or, or book series that I was so interested in were Curious George and, and Dr. Zeus. And, you know, because there were all kinds of lessons embedded within the stories that you took away without it being explicit. And I think that's actually one of the wonderful things about stories. And, you know, what I find when I'm mediating or negotiating is that you know, if you're trying to persuade somebody, sometimes that works, certainly. Um, but using stories, when I will, will say to either the parties when I'm mediating or the other negotiators when I'm negotiating, can I just share a story with you briefly about something that I think uh, is relevant here? I, I notice that people receive it very, very differently than me saying, let me try to explain to you why this makes sense, right? Something along those lines. And so, so what happened was I, you know, I started to look around more and more and say, I know everybody uses stories, but do we really use them strategically? Do we really think about 
um, deploying stories in a way that can advance um, a particular issue or situation or, or concept. Um, and what I found really was that I think most people, you know, use stories pretty constantly, but, but the question is, are we strategic about it in how we do this? And do we know all of the purposes of story and how they can help us? Yeah. And so, I mean, one thought that I was having as you were sharing that, you know, you talk about kind of, um, you know, the difficulty when you reach a point in mediation where, you know, both sides have very different positions, right? And mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking about the confirmation bias, how just we, we uh, give greater scrutiny to information that contradicts what we believe, and we more readily accept information that uh, agrees with us, right? And so mm -hmm. I was almost wondering, like, is storytelling a way to kind of bridge that gap? I think it is. I think that's a really good point. I think that it's a great way of introducing an idea or a topic that might run counter to someone's narrative or belief in, in what would be sort of a less offensive way, if, if I can put it that way. You know, and, and what's interesting, um, <clears throat> as I was doing some research on stories, one of the things that I read that I thought was fascinating was that even if you're telling a story from your own experience, the listener more often than not takes it as almost as if it's coming from a third person kind of narrative. So it's almost like you're telling the story of somebody else, but it's about you. And I think when we do that, um, again, that depersonalization, that let me share something that happened, um, I think is, is less worrisome to the other. It, it opens them up in a, in a new and interesting kind of way. So, so I do think it has that potential and that power to kind of um, introduce new ideas, introduce new concepts without the other side feeling the need to get defensive. Yeah, and it sort of reminds me, I know one of the articles that you sent me, I can't remember which one, but it just sort mm -hmm. of talked about how with stories, I mean, it allows the listener to sort of enter the story where they are. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminds me of, so a couple of my favorite authors are um, Chip Heath and Dan Heath. And they've yeah. got like several different books I like, and I can't remember which book it came from, but uh, there was this phrase that I remember from that book, how it talked about, you know, people have to trip over the truth themselves. And it sounds like storytelling would be a way to allow your parties in mediation to do that. Right. Am I getting, am <clears throat> I getting that? Yeah, I think you are getting it. I think that, you know, if I tell a story and somebody can begin to envision themselves in that story as part of the story, even though they know they weren't, or <clears throat> I think more importantly, how it relates to their situation, then they're able to sort of enter and say, yeah, I can see, I can actually see how that would apply or how that would be relevant uh, in this particular context. So I think you're right. I think that's exactly um, part of the power of story it enables people to kind of naturally find a place where they see themselves. Very cool. So I'm curious to kind of pick your brain and just in terms of kind of the practicalities of implementing this in a mediation. Mm -hmm. I mean, how does a mediator know when is the best time to bring up a story? And also, I mean, as you think about the strategic use of storytelling, is it more powerful if the story is told by the mediator or is it more mm -hmm. powerful if a story is told by actually one of the parties? Mm -hmm. Well, 
so in terms of, I mean, in general, you know, um, at, when it comes to mediation and negotiation, you, you obviously understand the importance of preparation. And I think that's the place where you want to be thinking, what are some stories that I think might be relevant? You know, so if it's a divorce mediation, you may have a couple of stories that you know, or you may even seek out some stories to, to have um, in your toolbox to bring them out. Um, so I do think that, you know, when we're preparing, trying to think a little bit about what are some stories that might be effective, right? We know a little bit about the situation. We know the context of it. Um, so bringing some of those that, you know, with you to the, to the negotiation or mediation, I think is important. Um, and then in terms of, um, you know, your question about who introduces them and when, you know, part of that is an, <clears throat> excuse me, is an intuitive thing. You know, as mediators, we're, we're, we're certainly listening to the parties and, trying to figure out where do we take them here at this point. And that's when you might think, you know, I think this is, would be a good time to share that story. Right? So I think there's a little bit of a, an adaptability and a flexibility that's necessary uh, when it comes to this. What I have seen um, is I think there's sort of equal power, if you will. I mean, you know, for a mediator, when the parties are stuck, as you were mentioning before, I think if you can share a story that really resonates with the parties, that's gonna be a great way to, to get them to move forward. But, but I would also think that, um, you know, and I haven't done this as much, but um, particularly in mediations and negotiation, I will often ask the other person whether they can think of an example or a situation that's similar to this. And if they could tell me the story behind that. Um, so I do ask the other, um, in my negotiations, if they can share stories um, or you know, if they can think of an idea that might work as a result of an experience or something along those lines. So I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, and I think as a mediator, being able to ask the parties, <clears throat> you know, can either of you think of an example or a situation where you've seen this work before or heard this work before and tell us that story, you know, that perhaps takes it out of the personal, which sometimes, you know, people get stuck in and realize that perhaps, you know, other people have had this kind of a struggle and our problem is not that unique. Um, and there are ways to manage this. So I think it's, I really do think it's both, um, but I, I would certainly say for a mediator, um, you know, to think about when to interject a story. And I think in particular, what, what I've noticed is you know, as, as we mentioned sort of briefly before, I've really noticed like when things get difficult as, as a way of shifting the conversation from more of a positional defensive kind of conversation to something a little more open, something a little more possible, that's when a good story is, is very handy. Yeah, that's interesting. And so I'm wondering, I mean, are you able to share any examples of stories that um, have been effective for you, whether it's something that you've used in any of your mediations or negotiations, or maybe a story from your book? Um, is there any example that you're able to share? You know, it's interesting. I, I, yeah, there is one. And, and there's one. So my colleague, William Urey, who I've worked with for quite a long time, uh, shares a story about the uh, the 18th camel and I don't know if your listeners know the story of the 18th camel but I'll tell it here because I use it a lot as a way of trying to prime the pump to get people thinking differently so 
the story very briefly is that there's this king uh, and the story is based in the Middle East and there's a king who has three sons and to his three sons, he leaves them 17 camels. To his first son, he leaves a half. To his second son, he leaves a third. And to his third son, he leaves a ninth of the camels. Why those percentages, I don't know, but (laughs) we'll go with it. Um, And you know, the, the sons sit down and they start doing the math and they realize this isn't going to work and they don't really know what to do. You know, they start to think differently. Can we sell off some camels? But camels are a, a very valuable commodity in the Middle East and none of them wants to do that. Um, so they happen to realize that there's a wise old woman who lives down the donkey path. And um, so they go down to see her and they explain the conundrum that's in front of them. And the wise old woman thinks about it, says, you know, I need some time, so come back tomorrow and let me give it some thought. So the next day, the, the three boys come back and she says, you know, I, I, I've racked my brain over this. I can't really think of a solution, but I do have this one camel over here and you're welcome to it if it would help you. And the boys thought, okay, well, let's, let's think it through again here. So now they have 18 camels. So half of 18 is nine. Um, so the, the first son gets his nine camels. Um, the second son gets one sixth of 18, which is, or his third of the camels, which is six. Um, and then the last son gets one ninth of the camels. So one ninth of 18 is two. So if you take nine plus six, you get 15 plus two, you get 17. And they give the wise old woman her camel back and thank her very much for her help. And what I love about the story is that it, and, and the way that I try to utilize it and I try to emphasize it to parties who are stuck and struggling is to say that I want you to be looking in our conversation for where, the, where that 18th camel is lurking. Where's the possibility? Can we add? Can we subtract? Can we think differently? And immediately I notice people saying, uh, either in my negotiations or mediations when we get stuck, so wait a minute, where's the 18th camel here? Right? And it becomes something that they utilize as a way of getting creative, as a way of getting themselves unstuck. Um, and so it's become a, a tactic and a tool that I use that I think uh, in many ways people can resonate with because it, it has an ending that is surprising, right? Um, so that's a, an example of, of a story that I think has the ability to to show people that even when you're looking at a situation and it looks unsolvable, if you think differently, if you approach things differently, if you add, subtract, whatever it might be, you now can can find a solution. Yeah, and I love that story. And I was just sitting here thinking, I mean, that's that's a great illustration of just kind of the, the power of stories and what you've been sharing with us and how relatable that is, because I'm just reflecting back on my mediations. I mean, how many times have I talked about, you know, hey, in mediation, sometimes it's really helpful to be creative. But then Mm -hmm. if you tell a story like that, I mean, that teaches that principle of creativity without actually telling someone like, hey, let's all be creative, right? Exactly. Um, That's exactly it. Yeah, that's a very powerful story. That's very cool. Well, and so to, you know, kind of switch gears a little bit, I know that you also have um, some children's books that you've written, right? Mm -hmm. I have. Yeah, I wrote a a, a sort of trilogy, if you will, with a colleague, Greg, uh, Greg Relier. And the idea was, um, you know, very along these lines, you know, we, we, I mean, there are certainly books out there for kids and dealing with conflict and 
negotiation and mediation, things like that. But they, but, but what we noticed was that they're very how-to. They're use I words and speak about yourself and you know things like that, um, and much less about stories. And so we thought, you know, um, why wouldn't we try to write a series of stories that had the, the lessons of negotiation, of problem solving, of creativity uh, embedded within them? And so we set out to do that. And the first book was called Trouble the Watering Hole. And it's, it's actually a, uh, the, the quote unquote heroes of the story are two animals, uh, a baby bear and a red breasted robin, um, Chicky and Emo. And Chicky and Emo, you know, in many ways serve as, as mediators and, and colleagues and friends to the other animals. And in the first book, they had a problem of the watering hole and everybody was claiming the water. Um, and claiming it for themselves. And Chickie and Emo do a little bit of mediating and help them to get to underlying interests and, and to problem solve. And they come up with a creative solution to how they can share the water. And it's all based on their interests of when they need the water and why and things like that. And that book really sort of hit a chord with people. Uh, and so we decided to do two more books that the next one was actually about bullying. And in fact, Chicky and Emo's role in that was to be sort of um, active bystanders, if you will. One of their friends, uh, the beaver, gets bullied, and they try to help him to manage the situation and understand it. And in in the book, we also uh, bring in the dimension that you know that bullying is a behavior, and that it can you know it comes from somewhere. So we also introduce you know that as part of the story. Uh, and then the third book, um, we, we thought to do something that's a little more uh, new agey, if you will, or modern era, which is um, to have a social media conflict. And we actually decided to do a social media conflict between Chicky and Emo, where Emo is walking to school on a cold winter day and slips and falls, and Chicky happens to record it on his phone and decides to, to post it to Forrest Graham. And... Um, and it causes a big uproar between them. And, and eventually, you know, they have to deal with that conflict. But part of the point was to show kids about uh, the idea of social media conflict, but also that, um, you know, even good friends conflict. Um, so we really just tried to use stories in a similar kind of way, um, you know, to, to help convey to kids that this is, you know, these things are natural, they're normal, and there are ways of solving them if you if you can focus your attention there. Um, and, you know, and when I thought about it and in, in my book, the book of real world negotiation, um, in the introduction, I talk a little bit about Dr. Zeus and the two Zacks. Um, and I don't know if folks remember that story, but, but it's interesting because looking back, of course, it's all about conflict. Um, and the two Zacks, um, one going north and one going south, uh, meet up and neither one will move to the side. Um, they were both very stubborn Zacks. And um, as a result, progress passes them by and they end up standing there for many decades while highways and roads and other things are built up around them. And, you know, and, and so it's those kinds of stories that I think are, are a great way to, you know, I remember that from when I was five years old. And, and I think that, you know, in doing these books, our hope was that kids would remember when they get into a situation where they have to deal with a conflict that, well, Emo and Chicky helped these 
other animals or they figured out how to deal with a conflict. So, so, so can we. And, um, you know, I, I went, as we published these books, um, I went out and I would go to schools and, and read these to the kids. And then we would talk about what at your school is similar. And a lot of times kids would talk about, you know, getting on, uh, that there's not enough swing sets during recess or kids feel excluded when other kids are playing games and things like that. And we would brainstorm. Um, and so it was a really nice way. And I remember one teacher saying to me, you know, we've not been able to get them to talk about some of the conflicts that are out during recess and things like that. And this sort of opened up the space for them to feel comfortable to do that. And the kids were six, seven years old. Yeah, I could really see that. And you know, that's sort of reminding me. I, so I have a young daughter and I think I'm going to add these books to my reading list as well with her, because I think ever since you and I connected, I've been thinking more and more, just not only in terms of how can I incorporate storytelling into my mediations, but just how can I incorporate storytelling into my parenting, right? Um, just mm -hmm. in terms of being able to, to teach lessons and 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 connect and make things relatable. So yeah, this is all really powerful stuff. Well, and I think it's also really important, you know, I've been a big proponent that our field needs to be relatable, that we have to tell people better what we do. Um, and, you know, and in many ways, for example, the book of real world negotiation, you know, I tried to write those cases in such a way that, you know, anyone could pick up the book and go, oh, that's not what I thought negotiation, effective negotiation was all about. And I think that as we continue you know, to, to help the world understand the value of, of all of this, um, you know, I think we should be looking to stories and sharing stories. I mean, all, a lot of this came, you know, the seeds for this were planted many years ago when I started working at Harvard and I would go to these faculty dinners and they were fascinating because people would share these really interesting stories of, of negotiations they were involved in. The, and, and the one problem was, you know, that there were 25 of us in the room and the rest of the world wasn't hearing these stories. And so, you know, I, it was back then that I thought if I ever have a chance to write, you know, a book or, or to, to kind of think through some of this, that I want to try to just sort of tell people these stories. Because, you know, when we have conversations about mediation or negotiation and what effective you know, what an effective approach that looks like at things. Um, people often have myths about, you know, our realms and what we do. And, you know, I, I remember talking to a woman about negotiation and she said, oh, well, you know, the best negotiation is when both parties leave the table a little bit unhappy. And I thought, well, if you're starting there, that's where you're going to end up, right? And so, you know, why, why begin by, going down the road of a process where you know you're going to be unhappy like who wants to do that nobody so you know what i tried to do in particular with the book was to say mm, that's really not what effective negotiation looks like and i could try to explain that and be persuasive or i could put 25 cases in front of her where people were not doing that and where people were coming away from a situation um actually happy because they took the time to get creative and think differently, et cetera. So, so I think that, you know, as we look out to the rest of the world, you know, we really ought to think about telling more and more stories and less, um, you know, using other tools um, to, to kind of get our points across. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I can, I can definitely tell, I mean, I feel like this is, this is just the beginning of, of at least my learning about this topic. And so I'm curious, you know, for our listeners who are interested to learn more, I mean, how can folks learn more about your work? How can folks, you know, learn, you know, more about the power of storytelling in general? Well, I do think that this is, you know, and I've done a bit of research and, and this is um, a subject that's got a lot of room for exploration. So I, I would certainly encourage folks to, to, you know, dig in. I do know that there are, you know, in a lot of cultures around the world that are very story based and, and oral history in nature, this is the norm, um, you know, of how people learn and tell stories and things like that. Um, I mean, in terms of, excuse me, my own work, um, I, you know, I have a website with all my information, which is just joshuanweiss.com. Um, and the children's books are there as well as other things that I've done um, if folks are interested. And, you know, I think that part of the exploration of story is, you know, is to dig into other realms, into other worlds where this has been done well and to look at what, um, you know, what are folks doing in those places that, that are applicable? You know, one of my absolute favorite authors and I read and listen to everything he does is Malcolm Gladwell. And, the reason I love Malcolm Gladwell is because he makes connections uh, in a way like the 18th Camel story that are so unexpected, so, um, you know, unique in, in, you know, he takes these very disparate realms and connects the dots. And I think we can learn a lot from that uh, for our own work. And so, you know, it's finding the storytellers out there listening to them and then saying, so how does this apply to, to our world? Um, and that's, that's really what I've been doing and reading more, you know, about what does effective storytelling look like? You know, there's a whole science out there of, of doing this well. Um, and, uh, and I hope that people will kind of jump on board with this and, and take it forward. Cause I think it is, as you say, fertile ground for, um, a lot of fun and a lot of, uh, and, and a very helpful tool to be developed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when we post this, we'll go ahead and, and we'll put the link for your website so listeners can find it if they want to learn more. Um, okay. Yeah, this is this is a very fascinating topic. Uh, this is uh, this has been really interesting. And I mean, I, I'm personally looking forward to just doing a little bit more research on this. And I'm with you, too. I love Malcolm Gladwell books as well. I think um, I think I'm in the middle right now of uh, the tipping point, I think it's mm -hmm. called. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. And then I'm trying to think, I'm trying not to confuse my authors. Um, I think Outliers, that's a Malcolm Gladwell book, yeah, right? Out, Outliers, um, David and Goliath, where he yes, takes a yes, very yes. different look at the story of David and Goliath and why we all, we got it wrong. But yeah. he also, he also has a fascinating podcast called Revisionist History, where he goes back in history and looks at certain, uh, you know, incidents, concepts, ideas, and and why they unfolded differently or what was really happening. Um, so it's, it's more storytelling, but I think yeah. it's, you know, really interesting stuff. And, and I think as, as mediators and negotiators, that's what, you know, because we, our, our worlds are multidisciplinary, you know, we draw from so many different realms and, and have to pull lessons from all of these places that there's a lot of opportunity to think in that way um, and to find connections where, I mean, you know, the best negotiators and mediators that I know, that's exactly what they do. They find connections in places where others miss, miss them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, hey, Josh, this has been so much fun doing this episode with you. I so appreciate you coming on the Mediate.com podcast. And um, let's just share your website one more time for listeners. Um, sure, Veronica. Thank you for having me. It was, it was really terrific. Uh, the website is www.joshuaandweiss.com. All right. Well, very cool. All right, friends. Well, that wraps up another great episode of the Mediate.com podcast. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Mediate.com. For more information about Mediate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.mediate.com.